Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Welcome to Policy and Rights, the show about human rights and government policy. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Depictions Media Radio, and I am your host, Michael Cloggs. Okay, we're in the Om- Omicron variant wave of the pandemic and there's a lot of a lot of things happening and government is is promising a lot of things um the prov- provincial government here in bc the federal government and there is also a lot of criticisms coming from different different places but the one really big thing would seem that is the confidence of the average citizen in what is actually going on when we look at the fact that the um, federal government is saying that they want to cut off anyone who is unvaccinated they want to stop supporting them they do they don't want them to get um, employment insurance benefits they want to cut them off because hey you had your opportunity to comply and to join in with the rest of the crowd and become vaccinated in British Columbia, there is a shortage of healthcare workers and emergency workers because, hey, they were let go because people weren't, weren't um, complying with the vaccinations. Now, there are many other tools besides the vaccination to help protect our communities against COVID-19 LNO tool in one of these segments is going to actually point some of those out and some of the things that we hear Dr. Bonnie Henry say well that's not very useful we'll hear um, Justin Trudeau saying that hey it just just wasn't available at the time and we're, we're working hard to make these tools available well the thing, the thing of it is, is we as the people, regardless of rhetoric, because we're going to hear, you hear Aaron O'Toole and Justin Trudeau all the time going back and forth about his rhetoric versus um, their rhetoric, and 
that's not what we need to hear. What we actually need to hear from our elected officials and from our public officers is how they are going to help us live a reasonable life. How they're going to help us stay safe, healthy, and be able to pursue our own level of happiness within our lives. We don't need to hear about more restrictions. We don't need to be told that, hey, we're going to impose more taxes. That's not what we're looking for from them. We're looking for them to provide us with the right tools so that we can make the right decisions on what is going on in our environment. Here at Depictions Media, we have asked several several different layers of, of government that is there a possibility that some of the things that are happening in the pandemic are related to, of course, climate change. No one wants to answer that question. No one wants to seem to want to look at that question. And one of the reasons why could be that... There's no profit in looking at that, but it is a question that can actually help us as the average person walking the street understand a little bit better about what is going on. Understand a little bit better about how we can change our behaviors so that we can support our environment, our planet, and our fellow human beings and that's what it is that we all want and we all want our government and our businesses to be able to support those ideas I will tell you that small business is willing to support those ideas but at this point we have to question the idea is that what our government wants is small business even operating at certain levels because it takes profit away from the corporations that are feeding into their campaign funds. We need to look at what is actually going on as citizens and we need to address those things with letters and other uh, other um, peaceful ways of demonstrating our thoughts, our views, and what it is that we want from our government. So, let's listen to the segments that we have. Um, we have uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry um, in two segments, and we have Justin Trudeau in another segment, and Aaron and Toll um, in a third segment, all talking about what is happening in our lives with COVID-19. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. On behalf of Rebecca and myself, a happy new year to you and your families. It's a tough time for our country, again, in the Omicron 
wave of the pandemic. So we want to send best wishes of health and prosperity for 2022 to your family, to your community, and to all Canadians. And I want to particularly thank our frontline healthcare workers, people on the front lines who a few years ago thought that flattening the curve might be a few weeks or months or a year. Now we're approaching two years of this pandemic and its impact on our life. And I'll tell you, as a parent who had to get their kids all ready for their Google Classroom this morning, we are tired of lockdowns. We're tired of school virtually. We're tired of not being able to use the tools we have to keep people safe, to get life to back to normal as much as possible. And I'm frustrated because the Trudeau government is almost normalizing lockdowns and major restrictions as the central tool for our country to use to fight COVID, despite the fact that after two years, we have so many incredible tools that we could be using to find the right balance to manage COVID if there was federal leadership. And I'm going to tell you why I'm so frustrated, because my first question in the House of Commons, after I asked about reconciliation, after I had had COVID, and Rebecca and I had shared our experiences with COVID and, and the great work by our, our contact tracing public health nurse. The first questions I asked, the first day in question period, was on the approval of rapid testing in Canada, a critical tool to help Canadians stay safe, to help reduce outbreaks, and to give people the power in their own hands to make sure that they can keep safe and keep others safe. We don't have rapid tests. Last June before the election, I asked if Canadians had seen them. Most Canadians I know had never held a rapid test. And before Christmas, it was like the Hunger Games trying to get a rapid test in Canada. There should have been hundreds of millions of these tests being used already over the course of the last year. And the Trudeau government failed to deliver on that. The federal government approves through Health Canada a rapid test. And what is that? It is a simple diagnostic medical device. It's almost like an over-the-counter pregnancy test or something that you could administer yourself. This is not a drug. This is a key tool that has pretty darn good accuracy to allow millions of people to be able to self-care by making sure that they don't cause spread of COVID. Federal government approves it. Federal government procures it. Federal government distributes it to First Nation communities, the Canadian Armed Forces, borders, the RCMP. We needed national leadership on rapid tests, and Justin Trudeau has failed. We needed rapid uh, response on PPE and domestic capacity on PPE. They failed on that as well. The most recent order for Parliament Hill in the area in Ottawa was ordering PPE through China. Have we not learned the lesson from the first wave of the pandemic? Without domestic capacity for key tools like personal protective equipment, like masks, like gowns, like other, other PPE, you could be caught in a bind in another outbreak. So we haven't developed the very capacity to do that and to be self-reliant. Contact tracing. Do you remember that app that Mr. Trudeau promoted a year and a half, two years ago? Does anyone use that? Has there been any federal leadership from the borders right through to contact tracing? No, there hasn't. And of course, now with the vaccine, thanks to the great work of Canadians, we've had one of the highest uptakes in vaccines uh, across, across the world. In fact, Rebecca and I got our boosters this week. Canadians have stepped up in a huge way. And the vaccine rates alongside all of those other critical tools can allow us to effectively manage COVID. But Justin Trudeau has failed to give us tools in sufficient quantities to be able to manage COVID. And what does that mean? 
It means finding the right balance between the primary goal of public health and public safety and maintaining capacity in our hospitals alongside making sure our kids can go to school, small business owners can survive. We can have as much normal life with the right balance on public health. Using masks, using rapid tests, using vaccine levels, using social distancing, using all the tools to manage COVID. And why am I upset? Because like many Canadians, I watched Justin Trudeau on his doorstep. He kind of held the, the country in the palm of his hand and said what he was going to do in the first few months of the pandemic. In spring of 2020, he said, after consulting with the provinces, he was going to deliver on testing, on tracing, on data sharing, on federal management, so that we could get life back to normal and reopen the economy in a balanced way. He said that. And now he hasn't delivered on any of these things. And actually with big packages, they almost incentivize lockdowns as a tool using the federal government's spending power. But as I've said, the amount you spend is not leadership. It's delivering on what you promised to deliver on at the start of the crisis. It's learning from the first few waves of the pandemic, learning from the hoarding of PPE around the world and the fact that we needed domestic capacity. He hasn't learned that. Developing rapid testing, making them here at home, educating Canadians on how to use them. The Canadian post office could deliver everyone rapid tests as some other countries have used to keep schools and businesses and other things open. Most Canadians can't even get their hand on a rapid test, let alone know how to use them. Contact tracing, most of it's been given up on because the app Mr. Trudeau released was a, was a complete dud. And vaccines, Mr. Trudeau rather than increasing uptake amongst some people that are hesitant, used that issue to run a national election and used it to divide Canadians. And with more and more lockdowns, I'm worried as someone that has promoted vaccines that videoed my vaccination with my wife. I wanna make sure people get the vaccines because it's the best tool. And if we're always just going into lockdowns, you're gonna see people use that as an excuse to not get boosted or not to get vaccinated. So we have to use all of the tools in the toolbox. And as I've said many times, leadership is not just about reading an announcement on your doorstep. Leadership is actually delivering on what you say are critical to get life back to normal. On a besoin un leader maintenant comme premier ministre. Après deux ans avec la COVID-19, les Canadiens et Canadiennes méritent un gouvernement prêt pour la pandémie, prêt avec les, les tests de dépistage rapides, avec des masques, avec des vaccins, et des fonds pour nos hôpitaux à travers le pays. Les Canadiens méritent un gouvernement qui va apprendre les leçons uh, pour, pour uh, répondre aux crises dans le futur. We need to make sure a government actually leads and learns. And that's what we haven't seen from the Trudeau government. So what are we going to do as Conservatives? I'm very fortunate that I've been working over the last few weeks with our special COVID advisor, Dr. Stephen Ellis, one of our new members of parliament from Nova Scotia, Michelle Rempel-Garner, who's been a tremendous advocate. In fact, it was Michelle's pressure over a year and a half ago that finally got Canada to approve some basic rapid diagnostic tests. We were one of the last G20 countries to actually approve and distribute them in large quantities. She kept that pressure up 
et notre porte-parole pour la santé aussi, Luc Berthold. On a une équipe forte, ciblée sur un plan pour un, un équilibre entre la sécurité publique et la santé des Canadiens, des Québécois, et notre vie, les écoles, notre économie, et un retour pour la vie normale. So that's what our team's been talking about. We, we sent a letter before Christmas asking specifically whether we would be ready, whether we could have rapid approval of some of the therapeutic products, some of the new therapeutics that look promising are being accelerated in the United States. And we can't even seem to get an answer from the federal government on areas of their direct responsibility. So that is what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about it more tomorrow with our team and sharing more thoughts with the Canadian public. We're looking at engaging the health committee to say the, the Trudeau government was covering up contracts, covering up their response to the health crisis. So they're only really ordering rapid tests in large quantities in the last month, month or two. We should have been doing this for 18 months. As I've said, I've been talking about it incessantly over the last year. And now when we critically needed them, Mr. Trudeau's failure of leadership has cost us. So as I said, we need tools so we can have as much of a normal life as possible and that we don't normalize lockdowns as our first response to a variant when we have a high level of vaccination that almost reduces the ICU rates or the real serious health risks down to a very, very small number if you're vaccinated and double vaccinated and boosted. So let's get that, that, those boosters out. Let's get rapid tests in the hands of Canadians. Let's make sure we domestically make PPE and rapid tests and vaccines. Medicago in Quebec City is, is a very promising plant-based um, uh, vaccine candidate. Il y a une entreprise au Québec, uh, Medicago, uh, avec un vaccin uh, en train d'une application avec la Santé Canada. We need all of the tools to make sure that we balance public health alongside mental health, alongside the wellness of our children, alongside an economy that cannot just be in perpetual lockdown. And in fact, some of the federal government programs in the last year have almost incentivized lockdown. So Justin Trudeau hasn't delivered on the tools he promised back in spring of 2020 on his doorstep. And now he's, he's really forcing the country to only use lockdown as the key measure. That should be the last resort. We should be using all of the other tools first. So like all parents, like many Canadians, it's frustrating. And for me as opposition leader, when I've been asking about these things from day one, I'm, I'm glad today to see the media asking about it. Um, there hasn't been enough questions about, about the lack of rapid testing in the last year and a half, about our domestic capacity. Why aren't we buying our PPE through Canadian suppliers? In fact, we called them heroes in the first wave. We were applauding all the small businesses that pivoted and created PPE. And recently, the Trudeau government's abandoned many of them. So the tools, PPE, domestic supply, testing, rapid tests in the hands of all Canadian families, effective tracing, surge support for hospitals through ICU support, through the Canadian Armed Forces, through partnering with provinces on long-term funding that let them build up that capacity, and vaccines. So I can't, can't end one of these uh, Facebook Lives without saying, make sure you get vaccinated. Um, 
Well, while we could, yes, it's true that tests can absolutely detect COVID-19. The reality, though, is that it's the unvaccinated who are at greatest risk of ending up in ICU. And it is the unvaccinated that are overwhelming, you know, at risk of overwhelming the healthcare system. And in turn, it is the risk of overwhelming the healthcare system that is the reason that we're all locked down. So the question I have is, why should the unvaccinated be accommodated if it is their decision to get unvaccinated that is leading to part of the crisis in the healthcare system? Well, you've raised an interesting thing there, Stephanie. You're absolutely right. The incident rate in ICUs will be far greater for non-vaccinated. That's why we have to get as many people vaccinated as possible. If Mr. Trudeau's rhetoric, uh, calling people names, was, was effective, we wouldn't have that problem. But what we found with Omicron, if you actually look in a total way at the data, is you're also going to have some hospitalization and a lower number of ICU admission for people that are fully vaccinated. In some cases, even with the booster, as we're seeing out of Denmark and other other studies that are literally being watched on a daily basis. So the more we can give all Canadians tools to keep the, the spread down and to keep normalcy to life is what we have to be doing. What is crazy is we haven't learned the lessons from the first wave. We're back to ordering PPE for Parliament Hill from China. We haven't delivered the rapid tests promised almost two years ago on his doorstep. He orders them in the middle of the fourth wave that's unacceptable. So we need to keep strain off the healthcare system as much as possible. And giving Canadians, communities, schools those tools is part of that. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. My name is Adrian Dix. I'm BC's Minister of Health. To my right is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. This is our COVID-19 briefing for Tuesday, January the 4th. It's our honor to be here on the territories of the Musqueam, of the Squamish, of the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Honored to be here today on their lands. And with that, it's my honor to introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you very much and good afternoon. Um, today is our latest update on uh, our province's COVID-19 uh, pandemic response. And this is our first new <laughs> briefing of the new year. And 
Let's hope it'll be the last time that we start off a new year focused on COVID-19. As you know, the virus has changed and is spreading rapidly. The Omicron uh, strain that has now taken over uh, here in British Columbia means that we are in a different race, in a different storm now. The Omicron variant of concern has taken over uh, the Delta variant and is now the cause of over 80% of the new cases that we're seeing across British Columbia. It varies slightly in the north where it's not quite that high yet, um, but the data that's posted on the BCCDC website makes it very clear that this has been uh, a variant that has uh, has been dramatically different and is spreading in a different way. And those pieces of the puzzle that I talked about a number of weeks ago are starting to come together. It also means that we need to respond slightly differently to this new, uh, this new strain that we're seeing. While we are seeing the rates of hospitalizations and those in critical care slowly creeping up, it's no longer the case that we have three or four degrees of separation, that you know somebody who knows somebody maybe that might have contracted the virus. The rate of transmission that we're seeing now in British Columbia, like many other jurisdictions around the world, means that at this point, most people in BC likely have a friend or a family member or a colleague who has been infected with the Omicron variant. Right now, in the tug of war of transmission, Omicron has the advantage, and we see that in the rapidly increasing case numbers we're seeing here and that we're seeing around the world. For now, in British Columbia, we have taken measures to try and slow that down, and we are coping. But everything we do now makes a difference. Everything we've done up until now has also made a difference. Our efforts have mattered. So many people in BC are vaccinated, are getting our booster shots, and using those many layers of protection from keeping distances, wearing masks, staying home if we're feeling unwell. This is the right thing to do, and this is what will get us through this phase as well. It means a lot of people will get sick, and we are seeing that now. But your vaccine will protect most people from serious illnesses and from hospitalizations. And we need to make sure that we continue to do those other measures as well. We still have further challenges ahead, and they're going to be slightly different challenges now. We know that some of the things that we did all along that made a difference with the strains that we've been dealing with are no longer that useful right now. In particular, because we have that shorter incubation period, it's three days and the transmission is happening much more rapidly and we have a disease that is much more um, undifferentiated. It means that a lot of people have milder upper respiratory symptoms that could be very similar, at least early on, to a cold or to influenza. That means that things like case and contact tracing are no longer uh, reactionary measures that are able to work to help us contain this. It means that all of us have to be proactive in how we prevent ourselves from getting sick, but also how we prevent transmission to others. And our challenge across the board in the next few weeks will be dealing with high numbers of people who are off ill. And that may mean off work, 
are out of school. It means out of healthcare. It means healthcare workers and educators who aren't able to to go to work because they're ill. And for most of us, thankfully, because of our vaccinations, that will be a mostly mild illness. But the interruption to our business continuity is something that we now need to think more carefully about. And today, I want to speak to businesses in British Columbia. Given this rate of transmission, the short incubation period, and the high number of people who are getting ill, I, we need now all businesses to put contingency plans in place to keep businesses operating when staff are off ill. At this point, given the number of people getting sick every day, we need to reactivate those COVID-19 safety plans. Those were the layers of protection specific to your business that allowed you to operate safely. We need to anticipate that as many as a third of your workforce at any one time may become ill with COVID-19 and they may not be able to come to work and we need to adapt businesses so we can operate at these reduced numbers. Whether you're a private company, a school, a frontline business or a healthcare site, now's the time that we have to prepare. It's not about public health orders and us telling you what to do. This is about activating all of those layers of protection available for your business in your situation to keep you from having to shut down because you don't have enough people to operate. So what do we need to do? First, remember it is not just one thing. It's not about a rapid test. It's not about a mask that keeps one safe. It's about doing everything we can all of us taking these measures to protect employees, our customers, and our family and friends. Every layer of protection is not 100% effective. It's putting these pieces together that gives us the protection that we need to keep operating. So what we need to do to prepare? Anyone who can work from home, you should be able to do that. Give employees and customers the space they need to stay safe. Remind and reinforce the, the, the need to keep that distance from people. Have fewer people in the same location at once, whether you can stagger shifts, uh, stagger start times and breaks, making sure that staff are not all eating lunch in a small, unventilated lunchroom together using those barriers, plexiglass barriers, limiting the numbers of customers in a space at any one time. Using appropriate PPE protocols. Ensure you have well-fitting, comfortable three-layer three masks and having the ability to do things like washing your hands regularly. And, of course, vaccine requirements. These are important. We know they're in place in many employment opportunities, but requiring employees to declare their vaccine status so you understand the risk in your employees. And while vaccine right now won't stop all of us from getting infected with Omicron. It does significantly reduce the likelihood that we're going to have severe illness and be off for longer. It means that we can come back after that shorter five-day isolation period. And it means that long-term recovery, um, is the risk of having long-term symptoms is reduced. This week, our schools are also doing a staggered start. And this is again, we know that schools are safe. They're the best and safest place for our children and they are essential. They're essential uh, for their social and emotional development as well as intellectual development. And it is not 
because we have any concerns about that. It's because as we've watched what is happening with Omicron and how it is affecting so many people, I have tasked schools specifically to take stock and prepare plans to safely operate over the coming months with the potential for reduced staff and keeping children safely in school and reducing the risk of functional closures because of staff illness. It's essential that we keep our schools open for children, just as we've kept grocery stores and pharmacies and hospitals open. This is going to be and remains our highest priority. We need to do this, and to do this we need flexibility from everyone, from administrators and staff and teachers and parents, and of course kids too. If your children are higher risk, it may mean things like pausing extracurricular activities to focus on school and the importance of school. Thankfully, we know that uh, COVID-19 remains, and even with the Omicron variant, remains mild in most children. And we know that with the availability of vaccines, it reduces the risk dramatically more for children and for staff. Everybody in schools should be vaccinated, and vaccines are the best protection for all of us. So while schools are most definitely a reflection and extension of our communities, they have not, and we've seen this consistently, and there's no reason to think it will be different now. They are not a major source of transmission. And schools, the measures that we have in place and adding in, going back to some of the ones that we were using early on, means that they are an important place to keep open for all students starting next week. As I said, this remains our highest priority, and I know the highest priority of the tens of thousands of school staff, teachers, educators, and uh, parents, and principals, and uh, school district uh, staff across the province, and we're committed to making sure that we're getting children back as soon as possible and doing our best for our children across the province. And part of, of course, one of the important things that we have in schools is that uh, we wear masks when we're in the classrooms, when we're in the school settings, and then, and I remind everybody that the best, the best mask is the one that you wear, the one that you wear properly and consistently. And a good fitting mask with three layers is equally protective if it's the one that you're wearing. Remember that the mask alone, of course, is not your only protection. You need to use all of these layers, including vaccination, including keeping your distance, including minimizing the time that you're in a crowded indoor space, particularly if the ventilation is poor. I know some people have called for the increased use of, of respirators or N95s routinely, and I'll just say in the majority of settings, the incremental benefit in a low-risk setting like a school or a retail store is minimal. What is most important is that you have a good-fitting mask that you wear, and you wear appropriately. The other important thing, of course, is as much as possible, if you are feeling unwell, to stay home and stay away from others until it resolves. Don't go to gatherings, no matter how small. And testing is, of course, important, 
we now, as you know, are at our limit of our PCR testing and we need to make sure we have that available for people where that test is important because they have underlying risk factors or may be eligible for treatments. So those are things that are really important right now and we are using the rapid antigen tests that we have to be able to supplement that for people who have symptoms and are lower risk. I also want to say that I'm looking at other areas in our community to make sure um, that we're taking the best, most balanced approach we can. And physical activity, as I know, is incredibly important for our mental and physical well-being. And I want to thank those who operate gyms and fitness and dance studios for quickly supporting your communities by moving online during this period of high transmission in our communities. I know um, that this is incredibly important. At this point, team sports for youth and adults, we are trying to continue. However, I want to make it clear that no one, no matter your age, should be traveling for tournaments. And I know there are some leagues that are trying to get around this by scheduling multiple games. This is not about trying to get around or skirt the rules. It's about taking measures that we need to be able to keep providing some of these activities and reducing the risk that we're going to be bringing this home with us, bringing Omicron home, spreading it around in our communities. So all sports teams should be following the VIA Sport guidelines, staying in your local sports areas, and I recognize this isn't exact, but we will do it, work with each of the sports to make sure that you know what the rules are. And I encourage you all to default to less, not more, during this risk period. Finally, on Friday, um, we made some, uh, given the challenges in staffing that I heard about uh, from our long-term care sector, particularly as we were going into this long weekend past, we instituted restrictions to essential, essential visitors only over this past weekend. And the intent was always that once we got the rapid testing available and had uh, more uh, plans in place to support staffing, that we would transition to one designated social visitor per resident in addition to essential visitors. I know and we know that our seniors and elders have long, in long-term care have been hardest hit by this pandemic. And we also know how essential having those social supports of visitors is. And we are committed to making sure we can get back to having your one designated social visitor as well as essential visitors as the rapid antigen testing is being rolled out across uh, long-term care homes and as staffing allows in this coming week. This will be in place this week as these are being distributed to long-term care homes and every care home develops their plan to support this. A year ago, we faced challenges, yet we had the hope and promise of vaccines for all of us. And a year later, that is absolutely so important for how we are going to get through this next phase as well. We all may be weary, but we can take encouragement from what will be brighter days ahead. It is going to be a challenging few weeks. But we have the tools and we have that strong vaccine background that will get us through. We have faced adversity and we have met head on with unwavering resilience and kindness and adaptability and compassion. Please continue to use all of those layers you have available to you and remind those around you 
to do that too as we weather our pandemic storm together. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Henry. And uh, I wanted to um, let you know that we'll be providing a COVID-19 bulletin this afternoon with daily numbers on case counts, vaccinations, and outbreaks. Um, today, uh, I'll be providing an update on the accelerated booster campaign, but I wanted just to give you a sense of the uh, challenges in our hospitals, the situation facing our hospitals in terms of total number of patients. You'll know that uh, in our acute care system, we have 9,229 uh, base beds. We've added 2,353 surge beds for a total of 11,582 beds. Today's uh, patient census across acute care is 9,034, which is up over the last number of days, and obviously though lower than it was, for example, a month ago. Uh, in terms of critical care, we have 510 critical base uh, critical care beds and 218 surge critical care beds that uh, that are in place. Um, we have today a patient census of 454 in critical care across BC. I think the challenge is the one that uh, Dr. Henry has uh, talked about in terms of businesses, but it also is a key challenge for us in healthcare. It's why we're taking the measures we've taken in long-term care is not just to assure that uh, beds are available, and we've done this through a number of means, including the cancellation of non-urgent scheduled surgeries starting uh, in this period, in this January period, starting in this uh, first non-stat uh, or weekend day of January, but also other measures to make sure that we have a lower patient census than we'd already have, so we're able to have uh, space for COVID-19 patients, but it's also the case that we're going to face considerable challenges with this much COVID-19 in the community in ensuring staffings in place. So those the, those questions are being monitored every single day, but that is the current status of hospitalization in our province. Um, with respect to the accelerated booster campaign, I just want to remind everyone that uh, 4,399,000 British Columbia, 771, British Columbians have received their first dose immunization from COVID-19, 4,136,540 their second dose. And uh, as of last night, 961,014 have received their third or booster dose. That's uh, in the over 12 population, 92% of all those uh, of all those over 12 received their first dose, 89% their second dose, 21% of their third dose. And uh, since October the 27th, we've sent out uh, 1,542,000 booster dose invitations. That's 40% of the eligible population for a booster. And by the end of this coming week, we'll have invited 46% of the eligible population. 950, as I said, uh, some 960,000 boosters have been uh, given uh, in BC uh, 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 since uh, the beginning of our booster uh, campaign. Um, and I want to just give you a sense of what groups have been uh, focused on because we have focused, uh, guided by uh, the advice and support of public health, we focus on people who are the most vulnerable to severe outcomes. So 517,718 boosters or third doses for people 70 and above. That's more than 70% of the population and significantly more than that of the eligible population, those who have received their first two doses. 630,866 
thousand for people 65 and over. That's almost 60 percent, and uh, more than 50 percent of all those over 60 as of last night had already received uh, their third dose immunization. In addition, uh, close to 100,000 healthcare workers, but 159,637 people who are clinically extremely vulnerable. Since uh, New Year's Eve, December 31st, we've invited 378,634 people for boosters, and more invites are going out as we speak, and we will continue to invite uh, those eligible over 18 over the rest of this week to clear uh, all those, uh, by the end of this week, all those who have passed six months since their second dose uh, will have been invited to book by the end of this week. Following this, we will be inviting individuals as they become eligible at six months or 182 days from their dose two. Boosters are being booked in about 710 locations across the province. This is today, and more sites are coming online daily, in particular pharmacies and, of course, health authority clinics. And uh, the number of pharmacies is increasing end of last week to this week by an additional 254 and another 200 in the middle of this month. All pharmacies are on the Get Vaccinated booking system. There are currently, as of today, 490,000 appointments open across the province. A capacity is growing on a daily basis. The newly added appointments are in pharmacies, both pharmacies and health authority clinics. Anyone who has booked can continue to revisit and try to move up their booking as capacity is coming on steam every day. If you wish to move your appointment for children 5 to 11. As of last night, 134,822 people, uh, children, have uh, been vaccinated in the 5 to 11 program with the uh, Pfizer uh, pediatric vaccine. Uh, 161,252 have booked uh, an appointment, and 177,000, or now over 50 percent, 177,831 have registered. Very much encourage everybody, everybody all parents to to register their children today to get the pediatric vaccine specially designed for children 5 to 11 today. Uh, as you can see, uh, roughly 39% of all children uh, have uh, received from 5 to 11 have received their uh, first dose immunization. Uh, about 47, 48% uh, are, uh, have booked an appointment and about 51, 52% now are um, are uh, registered, but that number of registrations has to go up as the gap now between uh, the number of people getting the vaccine and the number of people registered is closing, and we obviously want more people to register. It will make children safer and, of course, your family safer as well. Uh, what will help us now, I think, is what has helped us all along, um, adapting, adapting our practices and actions, adhering to public health orders, and accepting the public health guidance offered arranging to get our vaccines and boosters and applying our COVID sense and skills to all our interactions and encounters. We, we have, this is, of course, one of, and there have been many, challenging times in our pandemic, and that makes it our time to fight on. We have to continue to do what we all can do as individuals, as a health system, all of us together to help people in these challenging times. To remember that great differences have, have always been made by our efforts. To acknowledge that our efforts have made the essential difference all along. And to affirm to ourselves that our continued efforts now will again make the difference we need. Uh, all of that is the case now, and I encourage everyone to continue to join together to do what we have in this challenging period of the Omicron variant of concern. To do everything we can to help one ourselves, 
by getting vaccinated and following public health guidance and everyone we know, those that we love, those that we know, and those that we do not know. Uh, thank you very much. We're happy. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Bonjour tout le monde. Euh, je suis content d'être ici avec vous aujourd'hui, accompagné euh, de la vice-première ministre en virtuel, euh, du ministre de la Santé Jean-Yves Duclos euh, et des docteurs New et la docteure Tam. Let's be honest, this isn't how anyone wanted to be starting uh, 2022. Uh, I can understand uh, that people are frustrated, uh, people are tired, people had a uh, holiday season that was less festive uh, for most people across the country uh, than they would have liked. Um, we're closing in on two years of this pandemic, uh, and there have been moments of more intensity and moments of less, uh, but I think everyone was hoping that we would be into a much better place right now, and yet here we find ourselves again in many parts of the country, in lockdowns, uh, with public health rules, uh, with school back virtually. And I can tell you as a parent, I'm very aware that the kids are back in school virtually. Um, and I can understand that people are frustrated. Um, but I also know that we know how to get through this. Your orders of government have been working together for months and years now. Uh, to deliver the things that are necessary on the federal side. We've delivered vaccines, and Canadians have been there to take them up in record levels. We've delivered rapid tests, treatments. We've been there with income supports, and we're going to continue to be there. From the beginning, we said we'd have your backs, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Because this is about keeping you safe, keeping our health workers safe, and getting back as quickly as possible to the things we love. Two years into this pandemic, however, one thing has changed from those first early months. Canadians themselves, you know what we need to do. 
You know how to keep your loved ones safe. And more importantly, you know how to keep our health systems from getting overwhelmed. People have been stepping up. There for their neighbors, there to do the right thing, there to get vaccinated, there to support our frontline workers, whether they be in our health system or in our grocery stores or wherever. Canadians have shown their mettle and the way we are there for each other, and we're going to have to keep it up. We're going to have to keep doing that for a while longer. Kids, back in school virtually in many parts of the country, parents uh, figuring out how to balance things, everywhere people getting vaccinated, people making sure we're doing the right things, that's going to continue to be the story for the coming months. But we know, because we've seen it before, when waves have hit, like this Omicron wave has hit, we have to hunker down, we have to pull together, and it gets better in a few months. We're looking at a better spring, as long as we all keep doing our part. That's why I want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been doing their part, everyone who's been stepping up, and everyone who will continue to step up. There's no magic bullet on this. None of us want to be here right now. But we know what to do to get through it, and I know Canadians will continue to do it. Even though we're tired, even though we're frustrated, we can get through this together. On vaccines and boosters, we now have enough vaccines in the country for everyone. I got my booster yesterday. It's about all of us doing our part to make sure that through this Omicron wave, we do not overwhelm our healthcare system. Think of the healthcare workers who've been there for months and months and months, stepping up in extraordinarily difficult situations. People have been there for them. Puis c'est jamais trop tard de se faire vacciner. Si vous êtes là pour votre booster, merci. Si vous êtes en train de faire euh, vacciner vos enfants, c'est la bonne chose à faire. Et si vous approchez du moment où vous allez choisir de faire votre première vaccination, merci. C'est jamais trop tard pour faire la bonne chose. Je peux vous assurer que euh, les travailleurs de la santé qui vont être là pour vous donner votre premier vaccin vont être très content de pouvoir vous donner ce premier vaccin, même aujourd'hui, même dans les semaines à venir. Nous savons ce que nous devons faire pour passer à travers. We need to do our part. And if you haven't yet gotten vaccinated for whatever reasons, know that there is a vaccine for you waiting. At your local pharmacy or your local health center we have all the vaccines we need for all Canadians, so please get yourself vaccinated. That's how we keep our health systems from getting overwhelmed. That's how we minimize the impact of COVID on our society, on our economy, on our neighbours and on our frontline workers. We're also continuing to send tests, rapid tests, to provinces and territories. We uh, delivered a record number of tests in December. We're going to quadruple that in January. 
on parle de, de 120 millions de tests rapides déjà livrés, et on va continuer. On est là aussi en termes de gouvernement fédéral pour aider euh, les provinces, les territoires qui sont dans le plus de difficultés. On finalise le déploiement de 200 membres des Forces armées canadiennes euh, dans les cliniques euh, des vaccinations du Québec. Et on va continuer d'être là avec euh, les tests de dépistage, avec les vaccinations, euh, avec les traitements nécessaires. En même temps, comme le gouvernement fédéral a fait depuis le début, on va être là pour soutenir les travailleurs et les entreprises. On continue d'avoir des mesures en place pour vous appuyer si vous en avez besoin. Et je souligne particulièrement la subvention salariale, qui est là pour vous permettre de garder un lien à votre emploi, même si le travail n'est pas là, pour vous faire payer, pour pouvoir continuer à mettre, euh, mettre euh, l'épicerie euh, dans votre frigo, mais de savoir que euh, vous gardez ce lien avec le travail. Alors, s'il vous plaît, cette subvention salariale est utilisée par les entreprises durement frappées avec de l'aide au loyer, avec euh, des aides directes aux gens qui sont affectés. Nous sommes là pour vous, pour aider en plus les provinces à pouvoir faire prendre les bonnes décisions. Les autorités de santé publique vont savoir que oui, s'ils ont besoin d'amener des mesures additionnelles de santé publique, on va être là pour les appuyer. On est là pour appuyer les citoyens. C'est comme ça qu'on passe à travers la crise de santé, mais c'est aussi comme ça qu'on passe à travers la crise économique en minimisant l'impact long terme sur notre économie. Workers, small businesses, we will always have your back. We have income supports and we have a wage subsidy that is continuing for hard-hit businesses to allow you to keep your link to your job and put food on the table in situations of lockdown or public health restrictions. We know that's the best way of getting through the health challenge, but it's also the best way of getting through the economic challenge so we can bounce back stronger once we get through this particular wave. So thank you to everyone doing their part. We're going to hang in there. We're going to keep getting through this. And there will be better days ahead. On a beaucoup de travail devant nous cette année pour bâtir un Canada plus fort. This week, we signed historic agreements for compensation and reform for First Nations, uh, uh, Child and Family Services, and Jordan's Principle. For far too long, Indigenous kids at risk were being removed from their communities, putting in situations uh, where they lose their language, they lose their culture, they face uh, mistreatment. We need to recognize our responsibility collectively for that, but we also have to put an end to it going forward. And that's what this historic agreement was all about. And I want to thank all the partners who've been at the table throughout these many last weeks, working extremely hard, putting kids at the center of everything we do, making sure we're compensating kids for harms in the past, making sure we're putting an end to it into the future. From uh, the various 
uh, communities and indigenous leaders. Thank you. Senator Murray Sinclair, who's been an extraordinary advocate uh, for children throughout, to everyone involved, the ministers who worked hard on it, thank you. Um, but there's still a lot of work to come. We've signed these agreements. Now we have to make the changes. We have to get the compensation out, but we also have to make sure we're transforming child and family services for First Nations kids across this country so that we break the cycle that continues to harm children in this country. This is also a difficult time of year as we remember the victims of Flight PS752 and other air disasters. Families who continue to grieve, who celebrated yet another holiday season with empty spaces around the table. Know that we stand with you. Know that we continue to fight for you. Know that we will continue to be there to support you as you grieve, as you face the long, slow process of healing, and as we continue to demand accountability and justice. Je suis maintenant très content de passer la parole à notre ministre de la Santé, Jean-Yves Duclos. Jean-Yves. Merci, Monsieur le Premier ministre, et bonjour à toutes et à tous. Et permettez-moi tout d'abord de profiter de l'occasion pour souhaiter une très bonne et heureuse année à toutes celles et tous ceux qui sont à l'écoute avec nous aujourd'hui. Malheureusement, avec le variant Omicron qui se propage rapidement partout au pays, ce n'est pas le nouvel an que nous envisagions il y a à peine quelques semaines. Malgré tout, nous avons de nombreuses raisons de rester positifs et optimistes par rapport à l'avenir. We have been through a lot in the past two years, and I know that Canadians are feeling the effects of the stress and uncertainty this pandemic has brought into our lives. But let's be clear, January 2022 is not March 2020. We have made significant progress, and we are continuing to add resources and tools to help protect and support Canadians. Because of our early planning and successful work to procure vaccines, we are now able to weather the Omicron variant in a much stronger position. Last year, we rolled out the largest vaccination program in our country's history. Almost 80% of all Canadians of all ages were fully vaccinated in 2021. Booster shots are rolling out across the country with more than 7 million boosters administered across the country to date. Finally, we're also protecting our children. More than 40% of kids aged 5 to 11 have already received one dose of vaccine. This month alone, we expect to have enough supply in our country for all eligible children to receive both doses. We would be in a very different position right now if we did not have such a high vaccination rate and the vaccine supply we need to support further vaccination efforts throughout the new year. Notre responsabilité collective maintenant, c'est simple. C'est de vacciner les populations non vaccinées, de continuer d'accélérer l'administration des doses de rappel et de vacciner nos enfants. À ce sujet, comme le Premier ministre l'a dit un peu plus tôt, 
notre gouvernement a annoncé lundi l'approbation de la demande d'aide du gouvernement du Québec. Depuis hier, les forces, les forces armées canadiennes sont en train de finaliser le déploiement de 200 membres de leur personnel pour aider avec la logistique liée à la vaccination. Mon collègue, le ministre Blair, et nos représentants poursuivront l'évaluation de la situation et adapteront l'appui au gouvernement du Québec au fur et à mesure de l'évolution de la situation. Over the past few weeks, all levels of government have had to make tough choices to protect public health and to protect our health care system. The Canadian government has an important role to play in that regard. Last month, we implemented new measures at the border to slow the arrival of the Omicron variant, including advising Canadians to avoid non-essential travel. Our government is also temporarily expanding the eligibility of several support programs to help those impacted by new public health restrictions driven by the Omicron surge. Les tests rapides s'avèrent aussi un outil majeur pour nous aider comme citoyens à réduire la propagation de la COVID-19. Avant décembre 2021, notre gouvernement avait distribué 85 millions de tests rapides aux provinces et aux territoires. En décembre 2021, d'autres livraisons de tests rapides au nombre de 35 millions ont été faites aux provinces et aux territoires. Aujourd'hui, j'ai le plaisir de confirmer que 140 millions de tests rapides de plus seront distribués dans les provinces et les territoires au cours du mois de janvier. À la demande de nos partenaires provinciaux et territoriaux, ces stocks seront distribués en proportion de la population de chaque province et de chaque territoire. Ces 140 millions de tests équivalent à trois fois les 35 millions de tests livrés en décembre dernier. Rapid tests are proving to be an important tool to help us Canadians reduce the spread of Omicron. Before December 2021, our government had delivered 85 million of such tests to provinces and territories. In December 2021 only, an additional 35 million tests were delivered to provinces and territories. Today, I'm pleased to confirm that an additional 140 million rapid tests will be delivered to provinces and territories in the month of January. As requested by our colleagues from provinces and territories, these tests will be allocated to them on a per capita basis. These 150 million new rapid tests for January represent three times the December delivery of 35 million tests. Deliveries are already well underway and we will keep you posted as often as possible. Across Canada, all levels of government are doing their best to help slow the spread of this virus and support Canadians. These are challenging times, but they will not last forever. We have the tools we need to get through this new wave of the pandemic. Let's continue to exercise caution. Continuons de protéger notre santé et celle des autres en suivant les directives des responsables de la santé publique. Continuons de prendre soin les uns des autres et de garder espoir. C'est ainsi que nous allons pouvoir passer ensemble à travers ces nouveaux défis de la nouvelle année. Je dirais qu'il n'y a pas de pays mieux préparé que le Canada pour passer à travers cette nouvelle vague de la pandémie. Ensemble. Merci.
Et je me tourne maintenant avec plaisir vers la ministre des Finances et la vice-première ministre, Madame Christia Freeland. Merci beaucoup, Jean-Yves. Et, et bonjour tout le monde. Uh, good morning, everyone. Our government understands that to win the fight against COVID, we need to have the right tools. We need vaccines, we need rapid tests, we need therapeutics, and we need to have the measures in place to support people and businesses economically to get through restrictions and lockdowns. We have these tools. Our government spent the fall putting these tools in place, making these investments to prepare for this difficult winter. In December, before the holidays, we released an economic and fiscal update that included significant investments, including the purchase of 180 million rapid tests and a $2 billion investment in therapeutics. These were to support our collective effort to finish the fight against COVID and to handle the Omicron surge. Et avant cela, en octobre, nous avions annoncé le lancement du programme d'aide ciblée pour les Canadiens et les entreprises canadiennes, incluant une provision pour un renouvellement des subventions salariales et pour le loyer en cas de confinement. Ces programmes sont entrés en vigueur en décembre avec l'adoption du projet de loi C2. De plus, avec la propagation du variant Omicron et les nouvelles restrictions mises en place dans les provinces à travers le pays, nous avons décidé d'élargir temporairement la définition de confinement pour veiller à ce qu'aucun travailleur et aucune entreprise ne tombe entre les mains de filet. Nous avons créé ces mesures pour permettre aux autorités de santé publique de prendre les décisions parfois difficiles, qui s'imposent en sachant que le gouvernement fédéral sera là pour soutenir les travailleurs, les PME et les autres employeurs dans leur communauté. Et notre soutien depuis le début a été imbranlable. En effet, le gouvernement fédéral a fourni 8 dollars sur chaque tranche de 10 dollars dépensés pour lutter contre la COVID-19 au Canada et pour soutenir les Canadiens et Canadiennes. In recent weeks, as we all know all too well, most parts of the country have announced new lockdowns or other public health restrictions. Many of these restrictions have an impact on people's jobs and their businesses. I'd like today to reassure Canadians by reminding them that the federal government has made sure economic support is available to you if you need it. Last week, applications opened for the Canada Worker Lockdown Benefit. So, if you are a worker in a part of the country that is locked down or subject to 50% capacity restrictions, and if you have lost 50% or more of your income as a direct result of those restrictions, you can be eligible to receive $300 a week. And you can now apply online directly through the Canada Revenue Agency. We also know that businesses, especially small businesses, need support. That's why we have in place the local lockdown program 
which will provide wage and rent subsidy support of up to 75% to employers who've had to reduce the capacity of their main business by 50% or more. And let me remind businesses that we have temporarily lowered the revenue decline threshold from 40% to 25%. There is also further rent support of an additional 25% that's available for businesses subject to a full lockdown. From the start of this global pandemic, we've understood that having a job is central to the well-being of Canadians. These wage and rent support measures are about protecting people's jobs and allowing people to stay connected to their employers. That keeps people strong, it keeps families strong, and it keeps businesses strong. And that's what we need to keep our economy strong. Expanded eligibility for both the wage support and the rent support runs from December 19th through to February 12th. De l'aide est aussi disponible aux entreprises qui subissent d'autres pertes liées à la pandémie par l'entremise de programmes de relance pour le tourisme et l'accueil et de programmes de relance pour les entreprises les plus durement touchées. Je tiens à rappeler que cette aide financée par les contribuables est offerte aux entreprises pour leur permettre de soutenir leurs travailleurs et passer à travers la pandémie. Toute entreprise publique prestataire de la subvention salariale qui choisit de verser à ses cadres supérieurs une rémunération bonifiée par rapport à l'année 2019 devra rembourser l'aide reçue. Par ailleurs, les entreprises qui versent des dividendes tout en recevant la subvention salariale deviendront inadmissibles au programme. Notre gouvernement prend au sérieux la tâche de gérer prudemment les finances publiques. Nous nous attendons à ce que les entreprises canadiennes admissibles fassent preuve de respect à l'égard de ces programmes d'aide et qu'ils demandent cette aide seulement s'ils si, en ont besoin. The best way to end this pandemic and the best economic policy is strong public health policy. As the Prime Minister and Jean-Yves have just reminded us, the best thing all of us can do is to get vaccinated and to get our boosters. I also want to say to all Canadians that in these really difficult times, as a country, we have shown true grit and true resilience. Last week, The Economist ranked Canada's economic performance during the pandemic as second in the G7. We have more than recovered all of the jobs lost in the depths of the pandemic, well ahead of expectations. And Canada has the second lowest mortality rate from COVID in the G7. By supporting each other, by working together, we have kept our economy strong and we have saved lives. 
I know that this is a frightening time. It's a frustrating time. It's a truly difficult time. So I would like to reassure Canadians, we have the tools to get through this. We know how to work together as a country and we are resilient. We have shown that to ourselves, to each other and to the world over the past year. For nearly two years now, we have been fighting in an unprecedented time. We have been facing an unprecedented challenge together. I know none of us wanted to be facing this Omicron surge, but we have the tools to get through it. And I have every confidence in us that we'll get through it together. Merci. Et maintenant, je pense que je passe la parole with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In Vancouver. Uh, good morning. My name is Adrian Dix. I'm BC's Minister of Health. I'm joined here in Vancouver by the Honourable Jennifer Whiteside, BC's Minister of Education, and in Victoria by Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. Uh, Minister Whiteside and myself are honoured to be here on the territories of the Musqueam, of the Squamish, of the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. We're honoured to be here 
on their lands. Uh, Dr. Henry is on the territory of the Lekwungen-speaking people, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations. In today's briefing, Dr. Henry will be speaking first about uh, the BC's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and a number of issues arising from that today. And then Minister Whiteside will give an update on uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the education system and the restart of schools. And then I'll finish with an update on a, a number of issues and then we'll be taking your questions. So with that, it's my honour, as always, to introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you very much and good morning. As I don't need to say uh, today, SARS-CoV-2, or what causes COVID-19, continues to persist, to evolve and, of course, to surprise us in many ways. We cannot predict with certainty exactly what is going to happen, and we've seen that as things have evolved over this last two years. But we can and we must make educated or informed um, guesses or decisions based on the imperfect information we do have. It's not mathematical certainty, but it is based on the best information that we have, best information from what we know from history around different coronaviruses and other infections, around immunology, and around what we're seeing around the world. It is the best information we have, but it is by uh, necessity imperfect. And in that context, that is where we are moving ahead now with how we are going to manage to get through this next wave, the Omicron wave here of the pandemic. We have all seen that the virus continues to spread, that Omicron is spreading very rapidly. And I said last time that uh, where we had one or two generations of separation, now everybody, I believe, knows somebody or has somebody in their close social circle who's been affected by COVID-19. That means this is going to be a challenging month. But it doesn't mean that we need to stop everything. We know that the basics, the foundations of what we have in place, the things that we have learned to do, and the measures that we have in place currently are going to help us get through this month. As we've done since the beginning of the pandemic almost two years ago, our goal is to mitigate the impact of this virus, to make sure we're doing our best to stop sickness and death to make sure we're supporting our health care system so everybody can get the care they need, and to minimize the negative impacts of everything that we're doing on society. So we all need to continue to work together in this storm, in this version of the storm that we're facing right now. And as we've done in the past, we know that we have the means and the foundation for how to get through this, this Omicron rave. While some things are different, a shorter incubation period, which means some of those tools that we've relied on, we can no longer use effectively. But much remains the same. Staying home, staying away from others if we're sick, wearing a mask, wearing a good fitting mask, especially when we're around others. Vaccination. Vaccination has made it a different storm in many, many ways, and it means that the impact can be mitigated in all of us. It protects us, it protects our families, it protects our communities. So making sure that everybody has their first and second dose, and as, we, uh, as you're eligible, get, getting your booster dose. 
keeping your distance from others in those places where we don't know people, um, especially indoor places, washing our hands regularly, keeping our gatherings small, making sure we are using the orders that are in place to, to mitigate and to prevent transmission in some of the highest risk settings. Earlier this week, I spoke as well about the importance of businesses reactivating the COVID safety plans. That was a strategy that we used very on, early on in this pandemic to really develop specific strategies for each specific business or industry. And these worked. These helped us get through the last number of waves and they will help us get through this one too. It becomes more and more important as we're seeing that increased transmission in our communities. And these safety plans are a measure to allow you to keep operating in the face of a significant portion of, of workers who may be unable to come in because they're, they're ill themselves now with COVID. It is important that every business take this step now, which is why today I'm putting an order in place requiring COVID safety plans for all businesses in British Columbia. WorkSafe BC, and we've been working with uh, uh, many different industry tables and had many discussions uh, over the past week or so. And WorkSafe BC is working with us in partnership uh, again on these and has reactivated their supports for businesses and is available to address your questions. As an employer, we know that you have an obligation to do all you can to keep your employment uh, environment safe and your employees safe. And I know vast majority of businesses have stepped up without hesitation and many have continued all of the measures from their COVID-19 safety plans from the previous iterations. This is about activating all of those layers of protection again to reduce the impact of the Omicron circulation in our communities and making sure we can continue to operate our businesses. It's about business continuity and we know that this has proven to work to keep businesses open and to safely manage. This order is specific to industry and businesses and of course does not apply um, as it didn't in the previous iterations to childcare or post-secondary or the K-12 where we have additional other uh, plans in place that are unique to those settings. These are the plans that saw us through up to now. It includes things like barriers and reduced crowding and making sure we can uh, uh, reduce the mixing of staff if need be, um, working from home if that's possible, and facilitating workers staying home if they are ill. These are the things that will work again this time. This week, our K-12 school communities have been working hard to put enhanced protocols in place and to plan for how we're going to weather this storm and ensure that we're able to provide those essential educational services to our children across BC. And I want to give my gratitude and thanks to all of the educators and school staff and parent groups and families across the province for what you have done in this past week, putting things together and will continue to do as all students are returning to classrooms next week. It is essential and it's a priority for all of us that we keep schools open and functioning for our children. It's also important to remember that the structured settings that we have in school have been proven to be places where they can learn and interact with others and have that important emotional, physical and intellectual growth and development in a way that is um, safe for everybody in that setting. 
and safer than many of the unstructured settings that children are in outside of the school environment. We know that uh, there's a lot of anxiety and it is uh, always a challenge when we have uh, more illness in our communities, how that's going to affect schools and we've been working very hard this week to make sure that we have contingency plans in place for if staff are ill, if educators are ill and for students and public health will be working as we have with all of our schools and our school districts to make sure that we can support you in the safe return to full classes starting next week. Having said that, it's always going to be a challenge and we're going to have to adapt to things as they arise. Um, I know that many parents are anxious about children uh, coming back to school, particularly if you have vulnerable family members at home. And I just want to reassure you, reassure you that the things that we have in place will do our best to mitigate any of the challenges that we have. And it's important to remember as well, we have very high rates of immunization in school staff and I encourage all the children who are eligible in schools now to get vaccinated as well. Um, school is essential and we know it is the best place for children to be. And I know that the educators and school staff around the province are very excited to welcome children back into our schools next week. We've also seen the remarkable resilience and adaptability of our school communities and I know that's what is going to help us get through which will undoubtedly be some rocky times in the next few weeks. On December 21st, we laid out in, in some more detail our plan for our expanded use of rapid antigen tests here in BC. Um, and we've said that we focus on, uh, particularly through to the middle or end of January, that we're going to be focusing on five key areas, making sure that we're supporting long-term care, um, our test sample co collection sites, our testing sites, and that has been incredibly important, as many people have noted in the past few weeks, as we reached our, our capacity, uh, both uh, from testing, uh, from the lab equipment, from uh, the personnel and uh, the reagents. We know that uh, PCR testing is the most accurate, but it has a, has a limit, and the, we've reached that limit in British Columbia. It's still an important measure, and PCR testing needs to be um, used for those uh, where it makes a difference in terms of their clinical management. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But because we've had the rapid antigen tests of the various different types of tests that we've had here in BC, we've been able to supplement our testing sites with the rapid antigen testing and that has enabled us to make sure that people who do need a test can get access. We're using them as well for healthcare workers in acute care settings, in remote, rural, indigenous and, and other more uh, vulnerable communities to make sure that we can tell when Omicron in particular is entering those communities and support those communities in taking actions. And of course we've been using them in an ongoing way which we are expanding in businesses and other organizations. There has been significant progress deploying these tests since we talked about that and uh, I will um, defer to Minister Dix to give you some more of these details but just to say that we have deployed close to 100,000 to long-term care to support uh, long-term care facilities uh, to testing sites. We're now over 400 close to a half a million tests supporting our testing sites across the province um, and we've got many out to rural and remote communities working with the First Nations Health Authority. 
So the tests that we have have been moving out. They are all accounted for. And we are continuing uh, to access uh, t tests for businesses and organizations as we get more of them in. As well, we are using uh, rapid tests to help us understand where outbreaks, outbreaks and clusters are happening, including being able to support our K-12 system in the, in the coming weeks on outbreak management under the direction of the medical health officers as we have been doing. We do expect that additional rapid tests will be available. Um, you've heard the announcement from the federal government. A portion of those tests will be coming to British Columbia. But let me make it clear, they are not here yet. And when they begin to arrive, there are many different types of tests that will be arrived. Some of them will be suitable for self-administration, the lateral flow tests and uh, the at-home tests. Those are the ones that we have been waiting for for some time. And as they arrive, we will be deploying them again, starting with our, our priority areas. And one of those priority areas, of course, will be to support um, continuing in-school education in the K-12 system. We'll be starting when they start to arrive uh, late next week, we're hearing, uh, for uh, being able to test symptomatics, teachers and school staff and uh, in schools across the province. And the Ministry of Health and Education and BCCDC and school districts are working together um, starting this week and until these arrive to make sure that we have the systems in place to be able to do that and the protocols for self-testing. It's our expectation, subject to more of these, uh, these um, at-home tests being available, that we'll be able to uh, expand that in our school communities. And I've talked about this for some months, being able to provide it to, uh, for kids, uh, for children who are um, symptomatic in the school system, and eventually, as we get more available tests, um, to be able to support families to do the tests at home on symptomatic members of the family of the children uh, to determine whether they should be going to school or not. We have made significant progress deploying these tests despite um, challenging winter weather and all the other things that have been thrown at us over this holiday season. And we're continuing to break down the many tests that we have that come in kits that are too large to be used um, uh, in an individual basis. And replacing the nasal pharyngeal swabs with the, the nasal swabs that are needed for uh, a number of the different types of settings that we have. We expect our supply of tests to increase in the weeks ahead. And uh, just yesterday, we were advised by Canada that we're getting a number in, hopefully by mid next week, which would be good news. As our supply increases, and as we go into the next few months, we'll be able to expand it uh, for symptomatic people and for people to be able to do that type of testing um, at home. But the key focus in the coming week will be, as I said, on supporting K-12 and return to school. Here in BC, rapid tests are being used to slow or stop outbreaks and uh, to allow people to go to work. They're used as a red light to help us understand if they're positive um, that somebody has COVID or that COVID is in an area or a community. They are not being used as a, a green light to allow people to socialize as we've seen being used in other places. Every rapid test has been allocated to settings where the risk is highest and where the test will have the greatest impact. And that has been our focus here in British Columbia with this 
uh, precious commodity that remains in short supply both here in Canada and globally. I want to uh, take a few minutes to talk about um, getting tested. We know, and I've said this, not everybody needs a test. And this week we've seen some frustration of people wanting access to both PCR tests and rapid tests and uh, um, taking that out on healthcare workers in our testing centres. Please know that we have a limited supply and we do need to use tests where they are most appropriate to protect people, to make sure that people can go back to essential workplaces like healthcare workers and to uh, be able to identify people who may be at risk for more severe illness so that they can get uh, additional treatments that they may need. So really we're focusing on people over the age of 55, people who are pregnant, people working or living in high-risk settings like hospitals, long-term care, assisted living in many remote and rural communities, and people with higher-risk medical conditions. Those are people who may need these tests to help us keep them out of hospital, make sure they get the treatments that are available as, as uh, quickly as possible. If you are fully vaccinated, at lower risk and have mild symptoms, you don't need a test. Omicron is spreading widely in our communities. If you have those mild symptoms, whether it's a runny nose, a cough, and you've been uh, out in connection with other people, it's very likely that you have COVID. What you need to do is stay home and stay away from others um, and manage your symptoms. And there's information on the BCCDC website about what you can do to help get through those symptoms over the, the period of your inf infectiousness and the period of your illness. For most people, we are seeing now with this new strain that the onset of illness is within a very short period of time after exposure, so about three days, and that the illness is mostly mild if you're vaccinated and you have that level of protection and that it tends to go away within three to five days. So we are saying to people, if you have mild illness and you're vaccinated, stay home and away from others for five days. And then you can go about your business as long as you're feeling better and you uh, no longer have uh, a fever or symptoms. And the things that you need to be aware of is that you need to continue to wear a mask when you're around other people, a well-fitting mask at all times, and to avoid those high-risk settings where the off chance that you might pass it on to somebody else. Not everybody needs a test, as I've said. They are a limited resource and we need to use them to ensure people who need them have access, whether it's healthcare workers and long-term care and access to medications. So that uh, there will be more information coming out and I encourage people to look at the BCCDC website to look at how you can uh, assess yourself for whether you have COVID or not and for those who have rapid tests, um, how you can report that test. I know that for many people this is a very challenging time of the year and Omicron has just made that even more so for all of us. The days are cold and still short and this has put an added burden on us all. While these challenges do persist, I encourage you to find that optimism and hope that we have, that we're going through this together. We have the tools that we know work and we need to go back and reinforce them and reinforce them with each other. Find an opportunity to go outside, 
I know it's very cold in many places, but go outside, go for a walk, or call a friend, call a, um, a person you haven't talked to in the last few uh, days or weeks, connect with people. We know that connection is really important, especially this time of the year. Appreciate and offer the small kindnesses to each other that brighten our day and make us um, get through this as well. We will make it through this Omicron surge it, and we will get through this storm of this pandemic and we'll do it together and we'll do it as we always have by being kind and being calm and being safe. I'd now like to turn over to Minister Whiteside. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Henry. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Jennifer Whiteside. I'm BC's Minister of Education, and it's an honour to join you uh, this morning from the traditional territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. I wanted just to start by acknowledging that you know we've all been living through this pandemic for now what feels like a lifetime, and yet here we find ourselves again in a new and very different phase with this latest variant. You know, for younger children, going to school during a pandemic is all they've ever experienced. And for youth, older children and youth, they know full well how different these past two years have been to other than, than any before. And to all of our, uh, for all of our, our, our school staff, our educators, support staff, principals, vice principals, our superintendents, trustees, all of our education partners, your work over the past two years has just been extraordinary uh, as you have put children at the centre of everything uh, that we do uh, in, uh, in our K-12 system. And it's been a challenging time for all of our school staff, our district staff, our trustees, for families uh, and of course uh, for, for students. And I know that this is an anxious time for parents and families. And I know that everyone on the front lines is doing their very best as we continue to work together to meet the challenges posed by, uh, by Omicron. As we've shown over the last two years, our education system is ready and able to adapt to keep our kids safe and in school. As directed by Dr. Henry, the return to in-class learning was postponed until January 10th. And this has provided time for schools and school districts to adapt to the changing pandemic. And we have been working this week with our K-12 Education Steering Committee, which is made up of educators and parents, support workers, school leaders, trustees, Indigenous rights holders, ministry staff, and of course, uh, public health experts. Uh, and we have been working with, uh, with many uh, uh, superintendents and, and local school staff as well. As we experience the Omicron variant move through our communities, we're focused on protecting students and education workers. What we know is that since the pandemic began, we have seen that schools are a reflection of what happens in the community. And so we know that, that students and staff and our schools will be affected uh, by, uh, by this latest variant. And that's why we want to ensure health and safety measures are in place so children and youth can learn in school to the best extent possible. And that has been the basis of the work this week by school districts, uh, uh, schools, uh, the steering committee and the ministry, and, and of course public health. 
this preparation uh, that, uh, that has been done will mean that students can be welcomed back to school next week to in-person learning on Monday with additional safety measures in place. And while our goal is to have students learning in classrooms, we recognize that there will be likely temporary shifts <clears throat> in how and where some students learn. This means that learning at home may need to be in place for some students over the coming weeks or months. So on Monday, schools will be open with reinforced safety measures in place, including uh, the provision of three-layer disposable masks, which are the masks that, that look like these ones. And those are the masks that we have been providing in schools throughout the pandemic, and we've worked to ensure that we that districts have a, have a good supply of those masks. There, there will be measures uh, to, to reduce crowding, to stagger break times. Uh, we will uh, be shifting to virtual assemblies, virtual staff meetings, uh, uh, we will be restricting visitors to schools for the for the time being, and I just want—I would like to say about masks that we know uh, that uh, that we've been advised by public health, of course, that masks are an important layer of protection, and that students and staff will continue to use this important layer of protection while they're in schools. And so, what Monday will look like when they when students come back to class uh, is uh, a refresher on the proper way to use a mask, the importance of using a mask, how it can help keep um, everybody safe, as well as a refresher on the the overall safety plan. I mean, we do ask ask parents to send their child to school with a three-layer mask. However, we will ensure that these masks are available at school for anyone who needs one. And it is critical that every single day before coming to school, students complete a daily health check, staff as well, to stay home and stay home if they have any symptoms. When it comes to communicating with uh, the school community what's happening with, uh, with, uh, in our schools with COVID, I, I understand that, uh, that parents and caregivers want to know what's happening with COVID in schools. And so we have worked with public health on a system to ensure that we can continue to provide communication to parents. This is going to look, though, very different um, from what has been in place before, because as public health has advised us, individual case management and, and contact tracing is no longer a, a, a helpful tool for us in, in tracking cases uh, in schools. We need a proxy to understand what may be happening with COVID in schools. And so that proxy will be school attendance. Schools will be monitoring attendance rates closely and will notify public health and the school community if attendance dips notably below typical rates for this time of year. And that will trigger a response from public health, which may include investigation, it might include the use of rapid tests to get a better understanding of, of what's happening on the ground. Now, I do want to assure uh, everyone that, of course, our school medical health officers work very closely with school district leadership on a regular basis, a day-to-day -day basis, and that, of course, will continue. To help with effective uh, information sharing, parents are encouraged to report rapid test results to public health and to ensure they contact the school if their child is staying home because of illness. By working together, we will be able to best understand what's happening in our school communities and to determine how and what to communicate with parents. I want to say that I know that there is a lot of anxiety right now, and I know that there will be bumps in the road ahead as we navigate the next few weeks. 
It's a difficult time for students, staff, and families, and this pandemic continues to present challenges for all of us in our communities. The work that our schools and our district staff have done uh, over this week with our partners has helped to develop plans and prepare for continuity of learning in the event that a school needs to shift to home-based learning um, for a period of time. So uh, our goal there is to minimize the disruption to learning to the greatest extent possible. I want to say as well that vaccination, of course, remains uh, such a critical tool to keep our schools and communities safe. And it is uh, uh, terrific and news that so many teachers, of course, have been vaccinated in BC. We know, uh, you know, the vaccination rate amongst teachers is upwards of 95%, according to the, uh, uh, to the Teachers Federation. And we know that last year, public health prioritized many school staff um, for vaccines in the, in the, when vaccine, vaccination became available. And I understand that many teachers and school staff will have already received their boosters or, or, or are in the process of receiving their invitations to book their booster. And, you know, the news of uh, vaccinations available for the 5 to 11 um, age group uh, has been a very hopeful development and I know continues to be a, a priority um, with respect to our vaccination campaign. And I strongly encourage everybody who is eligible and parents to, um, to book their, uh, book their, their, their appointment to, uh, to have their young one vaccinated. Finally, I just to say that I, you know, we, we have really focused on ensuring we can continue to keep kids connected to in-person learning throughout this pandemic. Extraordinary work has happened to achieve that goal, and it's been challenging, and we're not out of the woods yet. But we have risen to meet uh, the many challenges in this pandemic, and our ongoing work together will help ensure that students have safe spaces and places to learn as we work to manage the disruption of Omicron in our K-12 system. That's our goal and commitment for today and to work to this end until we put this pandemic behind us. Thank you very much. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. today and thank you for supporting us with our sponsors. Please go to depictions.media for more information and click on our contact link and let us know how we can help, how we can help bring your story and help bring us to a better world.
show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.